Welcome to the While We're Waiting, Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and yes, even joy. Stories that will help us live well while we're waiting to see our children in heaven one day. We pray that these stories will be an encouragement to you as you walk this road of grief. I'm so excited to have another wonderful couple join me on the podcast today. Stephen and Linda Quinn are the parents of Ryan, Shannon, and Samantha, and the grandparents of Spencer, Logan, Piper, and Brooke. We met them for the first time about five years ago when they attended one of our While We're Waiting weekends at Family Farm, and now they help facilitate some of our events here at the Refuge. We quickly bonded with them when we met because of our love for our children and our mutual love of the Lord. We're blessed to call them our friends, and I'm so pleased to welcome them to the podcast today. Hi, Jill. We're we're really grateful to have this opportunity to talk with you today. Um, you know, from the very first time we met, we we really felt like God was at work at while we're waiting, and uh, and we love the people that are involved with while we're waiting. Not only uh, you and Brad and Larry and Janice, but just the people we've met along our journey at while we're waiting. And uh, you know, there's a certain almost feeling of coming home when you're with uh, other bereaved parents. That uh, these are people that understand us in a way that uh, almost everybody else that we interact with doesn't. Absolutely. We feel the same way. Um, I love how you said it's like coming home. It's like being with a family. And that's what we call it our while we're waiting family, because we can, you know, we, we may not have seen each other for two or three years, but when we see each other again, we can pick right up where we left off because we're family. So let's get started by giving you all an opportunity just to tell us a little bit about yourselves. Uh, Tell us where you're from and and what you do. Uh, Well, uh, Stephen and I both um, grew up in Canada and um, we got married in 1981 after um, a great sort of love affair. Um, We moved to Texas in 1996 when Stephen got a job with Frito-Lay. And uh, he worked for them for oh, about 10 years. And then after that, he got an opportunity to work for Walmart. Um, and so we moved to Arkansas for another 10 or 11 years. And now we are happily retired and living in Wiley, Texas. What kind of things do you all enjoy doing in your retirement? Well, you know, um, we are retired, but uh, it seems like we're as busy as we've ever been. Um, we are involved in a number of ministries, and uh, uh, we enjoy spending our time with uh, with those guys and helping out where we can. And with four grandkids, we just moved last summer to Wiley, Texas, uh, to be closer to our grandkids who are within walking distance of where we are. So we have a lot of uh, just domestic life things that, quite frankly, is just an unbelievable blessing to us. Everything from just picking the kids up from school or getting together on a Saturday is uh, just such a huge part of our life now. And we're, we're thrilled to, uh, to be doing that as well. Yeah, those are some blessed kids to have such wonderful grandparents so close by. I know that's a blessing for them and for you all as well. It is a blessing. Absolutely. We yeah. really enjoy it. 
Yeah. So tell us just a little bit about your kids. So I mentioned that you have three children. Tell us a little bit about them. Okay. Well, um, our oldest son is Ryan and his, uh, his age is 37 and he uh, is single um, and he is uh, currently working for Southwest Airlines. And as you can well imagine, he's got some struggles within the company. Um, sure. But uh, he's in, he's loving where he where he is, and he lives here in in uh, Dallas, and we get to see him quite often. Our uh, daughter uh, Shannon is thirty four. And she's the one who has our four grandchildren and um, also lives very close to us, as Stephen was saying. And um, we're just really enjoying being close to those grandkids. And then our our daughter, Samantha, um, is our daughter who is in heaven right now. And um, I think Stephen is going to talk a little bit more about Sam. Yeah. And Shannon, um, one thing to mention about Shannon is she's also a veterinarian. So, um, and her husband works at uh, UT Dallas in the recruiting area. So our, our kids are really busy and that's one of the reasons why we're so excited to be so close to them because it, it does give us a lot of opportunities to honestly help out, but uh, it means that we get, as we just said earlier, to be interacting with our grandkids uh, at a very high level. (laughs) Yes, that's wonderful. And I know their parents appreciate it too. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about Sam in particular. Help us get to know her a little bit. Sure. Sam was this real blessing in our life. Um, Ryan and Shannon were born, um, you know, Ryan was born two years after we got married. And uh, we were really young. Linda didn't mention, but we were high school sweethearts. We got Mm -hmm. married right after I graduated from college. And uh, so we started a family very early in our uh, time together. And uh, Ryan and Shannon were born uh, two years apart. So they came pretty quickly. And then, um, you know, we, we really wanted to have a third child, uh, but it just took longer. And so uh, Samantha was born, um, I guess, five years yeah, later. Five years later. And um, she, she just was this sort of, blessing for us, kind of the jewel in the crown. Um, we we had, honestly, for so many years together, uh, well into my 40s, we had this just really blessed um, experience. Um, you know, family life, great vacations together. Um, my career uh, was doing really well. And so we were we were really stable on that front. And Samantha was just this real amazing blessing in our family. She was smart. She was really funny um, as a as a child. She had this really infectious smile. Uh, Samantha, she loved horses and uh, she she was kind of fearless. And, and as a result of that, <clears throat> involved in uh, hunter jumping, she she really did well. She she won many ribbons and trophies and that sort of thing. And so she was pretty accomplished in that area. She had this unbelievable ability to remember the words of songs. She could hear a song twice and remember every word and kind of got irritated if you uh, sang along and just did that fill in the blanks thing because she she would sort of treat it like, how can you not know the words of this song? <laughs> uh, I'll tell one funny story about Samantha. When we when I had the opportunity to move to, uh, to Texas here, I was uh, in the process of 
of potentially being transferred, we decided to bring the family to Texas to just let them experience it to make sure that this was going to be a good call. And we ended up going to San Antonio, um, where Fiesta, Texas is, which is part of, uh, you know, Six Flags now. But it's an amusement park. And we had a great time as a family there. But when we finally ultimately moved to Texas, Samantha, who was five at the time, was kind of shocked that we didn't move to the amusement park. So when we said we're moving to Texas, in her mind, it was like, oh, that's awesome. We're, we're moving to the uh, Fiesta, Texas. We're going to be right beside the roller coaster. Oh, wow. And uh, so that was uh, just, it was just a, a sort of an amazing um, kind of experience of, you know, being in a, seeing the world through a child's eyes uh, very briefly there as we sure. went through this big change in our life. That's a great story. So as Samantha got a little bit older, things kind of began to change. Is that right? Talk about yeah, that a little absolutely. bit. Yeah, Samantha, um, <clears throat> you know, she did really well in school. She was very social. She was always uh, very interested in having friends. Um, you know, as I look back now, maybe even anxious about having friends. I didn't really view it that way. It just She seemed just like a normal, uh, you know, uh, daughter. Uh, but when she started her early adolescent years, she just started having um, problems like relational problems, um, emotional issues. She, uh, we, you know, we later found out that she had a, an issue with uh, emotional dysregulation is what they call it. And that's just where you really struggle to keep your emotions under control. So we started noticing these changes. And actually, by the time that we moved to Arkansas, we, we were already starting to think, you know, this is probably a really good move for her as well. Her brother and sister had already gone off to college. And we thought it's kind of a, a chance for her to do a kind of a, a restart. Um, and uh, that's it, it didn't play out that way. In fact, um, as she really started getting into her teen years, this issue just started growing and growing. And uh, uh, in, in a lot of ways, it just created a real, her, her life became chaos. And I have to tell you, and if any parents are out there who have uh, dealt with children with mental illness, it can be just so unbelievably baffling because I think our rational self wants to be able to point to causes, you know, this thing happened and therefore, um, you know, this is the outcome that, that you get from that. We didn't have that. Now, some people do, you know, <clears throat> sometimes mental illness can be traced right back to some cause. For us, we had this child that we uh, believed was one way, and she had this really, honestly, normal childhood. Her brother and her sister ha had always been incredibly healthy, mentally included. And then all of a sudden, she was just emerging with this chaotic uh, life. And we sought help uh, naturally. Um, she talked to psychologists, uh, school counselors, eventually um, a psychiatrist. And all the way along that journey, uh, things were honestly getting worse, um, which became really troubling for us. And I would say Linda and I went through a probably a two-year period where uh, you're kind of in denial, you're in anguish because you can see your child is suffering, um, uh, discouragement. And just being completely baffled, quite frankly, um, through the whole thing. And eventually, she was diagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder. I can remember the day 
that we were told that thinking, oh, you know, it's borderline. It doesn't, it doesn't sound that, that bad. Um, Linda ended up reading a really good book about the disorder. Uh, and as she would read the sort of nine characteristics of borderline personality disorder, it was like, it was a list of Samantha's life. I mean, it was, it was so, um, almost devastating, but even with all that, it, it still got worse. Ultimately, we took her to a hospital in Boston um, that specialized in borderline personality disorder. And just to sort of roll the camera forward, um, you know, things did get a little bit better as she got more specific help. Um, by the um, fall of 2010, she had been in the hospital for the better part of a year and we had a lot of hope when she came home for Christmas that, you know, that things were looking up, that she was feeling more secure and so on. Uh, unfortunately, we ended up spending a horrible Christmas together. I think it was very discouraging for her because she had all these tools, but they just didn't seem to work in a situation where she was sort of out of that uh, clinical environment. And um, the brutal part of all of this was, you know, we, through this whole period, naturally, we were praying that she would just be released from this, this suffering we suffered. But the worst part about it was, was experiencing our daughter suffering so much. And two months after, uh, after that Christmas, um, she was released from her suffering, but in the, the worst possible way, in a way that we certainly, um, would never even, uh, would never have wanted, which was she, she took the decision to take her own life. And, uh, you know, as that was so brutal because we had been through this traumatic, you know, four or five year experience with her. And then it just ended so badly. And, and some people might think that if you've been through that, that, that maybe the grieving part wouldn't be as bad, but we certainly didn't experience that the grieving, you know, as we've met other grieving parents, um, we all have such a similar experience of just the searing pain of that. Did you have anything you wanted to add, Linda? Just that, uh, you know, it took a long time for us to figure out what was wrong with Sam. And I think when we got an actual diagnosis, we were actually really hopeful. We're like, okay, we've got something that we can hold on to. We can, um, we can work with this. Um, and, you know, Stephen mentioned uh, one of the books I read. As I was reading that, I was I started realizing that um, there wasn't going to be a quick cure. Um, the, the illness that Samantha had was really not um, going to be addressed through drugs. Um, it, the best uh, solution for her was just um, learning, like cognitive therapy, learning how to deal with her issues. And um, it really felt like uh, we were going, she was going to have to deal with this for a long, long time. And the possibility maybe of her outgrowing it was there, but that could have been well into her forties uh, before that was even a possibility of happening. So um, it was pretty tough. I mean, living in our home with Samantha um, was pretty much like living in a nightmare. Mm -hmm. um, we never knew. Um, what we were going to get, or uh, one of the 
difficulties with her illness was that her emotions could fluctuate very, very quickly. And they could be a really high high or a very low low. You know, I kind of thought of it as kind of living in an electric chair where you never know when the button was going to be pushed. So it was horrible for Samantha, just awful. But it was awful for us too, just because the dealing with it. And when someone has mental illness, there are not a lot of rules Mm -hmm. from their perspective. And when you don't have mental illness, you have rules and boundaries and it's very confusing for um, the parents to deal with that because it's kind of outside the boundaries of what your your mind can handle. So uh, very difficult, very difficult. And uh, it was very difficult for Sam. Did you feel like you had good support from the medical and psychological community? You know, um, that can be pretty controversial, that question. Um, anybody who's been through this uh, would tell you that. And uh, first of all, that's a field that is behind a lot of other scientific fields. And, th- and they're the first to say that. There's still so much we don't know about the mind, that kind of thing. Sure. But I can tell you the thing that was so discouraging about it is that they, they really aren't in the giving hope business Uh, And maybe because it's risky for doctors to promise anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they, they will talk in terms of process and, and tools and, and so on. But even, even the best, you know, I think we ended up getting about the best care you could get for someone with BPD as they call it. And uh, Linda and I would go and visit and they'd have these sessions for parents. And I can tell you, uh, there's a whole other ministry opportunity there because they do not give you a lot of hope. They they pretty much teach you coping skills. But as Linda said, so much of what you're kind of promised is kind of just a struggle for a, for a long time to come. And it just, uh, you know, I, I feel like, um, you know, we're, we're to have hope as, as followers of Christ. And mm-hmm. uh, that is not a part of that community, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I'm sure there'd be other people that would disagree with that. And certainly there are a lot of people that have gotten better from many different types of mental illness, including sure. BPD. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can tell you that um, we found that community to be um, kind of really rough on us, honestly. And, and it, it probably is out of a realism. I can tell you that Linda, I think, was much more enlightened about this before I was. And so much of my Mr. Fix-It kind of uh, personality wanted to just put the pieces together and say, okay, problem solved. And uh, uh, we had such a discouraging discussion with the principal of uh, Samantha's school because, you know, naturally some of this spilled over into school and she struggled. And um, I remember just thinking, we just got to get her through this. We got to get, you know, her uh, into college. We just got to get her life. If she can get some successes under her belt, she's going to feel better. And Linda would say to me, Stephen, you know, wake up to what we're dealing with here. And honestly, this principle pretty much sat us down and said the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. The most important thing right now is not that Samantha gets through high school. Um, And uh, uh, that was just such so brutal for me to um, kind of face what I think Linda faced probably a year before I did, which is, Hey, we've, we've got a real 
uh, difficult situation and a road and a journey that we're on that we're going to, we are going to have to go down this road. Yeah. I, I think that was, um, that was one of the more difficult parts for Stephen and I as a couple was um, not being quite on the same page. Yeah. Um, you know, Stephen obviously was, was off at work and I mean, he had a lot going on in his life and I was, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be a, a stay at home mom so I could do a lot more research. And of course, just given that I was home, I spent a lot more time with Samantha. And I really could see that we were in big trouble. Yeah. Um, and so it created conflict with us where I would be trying to go in one direction and Stephen would be, no, we just got to get her through this year at school. We just got to, he, he was just like, just one more step. But I was looking farther ahead, I think, because I could see, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the long term issues we were going to have. So um, that was that was pretty difficult for us. It was. Yeah. 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 I can I can just imagine how difficult that must have been for you all and for Samantha, too. You know, that was terrible for Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. My heart goes out to you guys. So. Do you feel like there are issues that a parent that loses a child to suicide has to deal with that are that maybe complicate the grief journey? Um, I definitely do. Um, with us, um, because we were dealing with mental illness, um, we pretty much had to mourn Samantha twice. Um, when we finally realized what we were dealing with, we had to mourn the daughter that we thought we had. Yes. And um, sort of accept the new uh, daughter that we um, were dealing with. And then again, you know, ultimately, when Samantha did take her life, we had to mourn the loss of, of the daughter that we had, um, which was very awful for us and for anybody who would lose a child. Um, there's also um, a stigma about mental illness and suicide. And uh, that's um, something that, you know, if your child dies of, of cancer or of an accident, um, you're in, you have zero control over that. Um, So it is a little bit different. Um, And I think there's a lot of guilt involved when your child dies. Um, I think we all ask questions like, how did I not, you know, if you didn't know it was coming, how did I not see that? Um, what could I have done to have stopped it? Why didn't we do yada, yada, yada? Um, there's a lot of that that happens too. And um, one thing that I personally dealt with um, was anger. Sure. Um, I was I was angry at Sam for leaving, for making the decision that she did, um, because it felt like we we suffered so long together. Like, I mean, we did it as a team. It wasn't just Sam. It wasn't just Sam and I, it was our whole family dealt with it together. And then I felt like she gave up and decided to leave. Um, So dealing with uh, forgiving her has been something that, that I definitely have had to do. Um, And, you know, I think Satan just loves to take all of this stuff, all of these uh, feelings of shame and guilt and uh, whatever. And, and he just, plays that. Um, so uh, I think those are probably some of the major issues that, you, you know, you deal with, with a child that 
to, you know, has died by suicide. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, uh, you know, all bereaved parents suffer with the why question. Mm, yes. Uh, it's a one additional complexity if your child dies from suicide is that you've got a why to God, but you also have a why to the person. And that person is not available to answer that question. Right. And so it's, uh, as Linda said, the enemy loves to just torture you with this sort of going over and over again, the why piece. And, uh, you know, I think it, it, it's a it's a really important part of the journey that we as bereaved parents are all on. And it is a little bit more complicated uh, in the case of suicide because you've got all these unresolved feelings, as, as Linda said, uh, with your child as well. Have you discovered some ways to fight back? against the enemy when he's uh, attacking you with those kinds of questions and, and thoughts? Well, I think we can all agree that probably the number one way to deal with it is the way that Jesus dealt with, you know, the temptations uh, from Satan, and that is to just God's word mm-hmm. and how crucial it is uh, to stay, you know, your eyes fixed on Jesus, but stay close to God and his word is available to us to do that. And um, honestly, uh, nothing has even come close to that in terms of um, dealing with the, all of those feelings. You know, as, as you know, Jill, we have so many why questions and you can torture yourself with those questions. And, I, you know, I think the Bible is really clear that there's just a, a piece of that that's never going to get answered for us until we get to the other side. And, um, and we'll be, we'll be completely satisfied mm-hmm. um, once we get, get to heaven. Um, but, you know, I would encourage parents, you have to go through that struggle, but I would encourage them to, um, to start to um, really just use God's word to help you to heal and to go through the journey, the process that you're, you will have to go through. We all have, and um, God's word is an encouragement. You know, I heard a pastor just uh, in the last two days who said, I need to go to God's word because I need to be encouraged. And, you know, as a pastor in his case, I need to encourage others. We're all told to encourage other people. Well, I don't know how we could encourage other people if we aren't encouraged. So we we need to be encouraged. It's one of the things that I love about going to uh, while we're waiting retreats is that there is encouragement in the midst of all that that pain and that we would be mutually encouraged is I think a big purpose in getting together. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned how important the word of God is and uh, I agree with you on that. Are there any particular scriptures that you have clung to um, over the last several years? Uh, Well, I, I could share a couple. Sure. Um, uh, Psalm 34, 17 and 18. Um, is uh, a verse that I have used over the years just for comfort and for protection from Satan. And um, uh, Psalm 34, 17 and 18 says, The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those crushed in spirit. And believe me, we've been crushed in spirit. Absolutely. Um, You know, what we really want to do is just to escape our grief. We don't want to have to deal with it. Um, but God really 
has not promised us a life without grief or without suffering, um, but he does promise to stay close to us and um, that he will give us the strength and the fortitude that we need to get through it. And so um, I've clung to that. And another uh, Bible verse uh, that's one of my favorite is uh, Revelation 21.4. I find this um, gives me hope. And I really uh, need that. And Revelation 21.4 says, God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I almost can't wait (laughs) uh, till I can uh, be reunited with Sam in heaven. And, And knowing that this is true for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, gives me great, great comfort and great hope. Um, and I think you probably have a couple too that you've used on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, I you know, one of the things that's unusual um, when you're grieving is there's a loneliness that goes with that. You know, I you know, I'm so blessed to have Linda in my life, and and this is a journey that we've been on together. But there's this really bizarre fear almost and loneliness that comes with it. And so uh, Romans 8, 37 to 39, uh, you know, the great eight, uh, know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Paul goes on to say, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And through the worst of our grieving, which in my case was the better part of two years, Uh, I clung to that verse over and over again. It's a promise that God makes that he will not leave our side, that nothing can separate us from his love. And just as Linda said about Revelation, you know, there's these amazing promises that God makes, that he will be with us, that he will wipe away our tears, that, that someday all of our suffering will end. And these are things that I think give us great hope and strength, and they definitely help me. Uh, move through this journey. I would say the only thing that helped me get through that journey. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you for sharing those. Those are great scriptures that we can all cling to. So when you lose a child, um, it it changes you, doesn't it? Um, how do you feel like Sam's home going has changed you? Well, um, Jill, I feel that uh, I have a huge uh, amount of empathy for uh, other people who who are suffering. It doesn't even have to be uh, through the death of a ch- of a child. Um, I think it has opened up my eyes to what real suffering is, and it it brought it so close to home that um, I really uh, feel for other people who have felt the way that. I have felt because I know what it feels like. Um, I also feel like this whole experience has brought brought me so much closer to God. I mean, Stephen and I both agree that we we would not have been able to get through this without him. And um, as a a result, um, we are closer to him in, in pretty much every way. And God is in our lives all the time, every day. We do devotionals together every morning, and um, we've learned to turn to him for help a lot faster than we uh, would have beforehand. Um, 
And it, it's helped me just to, to stand firm in the sovereignty of God. I mean, I had, have had to cling to God's sovereignty. Like he has all authority. He has all the control. So I need to just trust in that. And that has really, really given me, um, I think in Stephen as well, um, pretty much a really solid foundation. Yeah, I think this journey is, it's an opportunity to grow your faith in a way that Honestly, there's no other way that you could end up with that kind of faith. That doesn't happen with everybody. I I remember uh, distinctly at the beginning, Linda and I were very deliberate about just just felt like there was this fork in the road. And, you know, one was going God's way and trusting God. And the other just seemed like a road of more chaos, honestly. And as we peered down that road, and this was really early, like in the first two weeks after Samantha went to heaven, we we looked down that road and said, that is not the road we want to go down. And yet, you know, I know many bereaved parents do go down that road. And so I'm so glad that at the beginning we said, you know what, I... In a lot of ways, I don't feel like I have any choice but to trust God on this. And our faith grew so much through that experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't I don't know how God could have done that any other way, honestly. Yeah, I think for me, it was pretty much instantaneous. Um, the night that uh, we got the news that Sam had passed away, um, I was still on the floor um, in a sobbing mess. But I remember sort of lifting my head up and and thinking, are you going to believe what you say you believe? And I it, it was so clear. And I could, like Stephen said, there's this road and there's this road. What do you choose? And I choose God right there. And there was no turning back from them. It's just been um it's just been a a hard but also a wonderful journey. Yeah, it's interesting that you would use that that phrase that it's been a hard, but at the same time, wonderful journey. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't understand that. But when you make that right choice, um, when you've got those two paths in front of you, there there can still be wonderful things in oh, life. Absolutely. Yeah. I know that it's been a little over nine years since Sam went to heaven. Um, but you know, you, you guys obviously still remember those early days of grief very well. So what advice would you give to a newly bereaved parent, somebody that's looking down those two roads right now, what would you tell them? Well, I think grief is different for everybody. I mean, it's different for men and women and it's different for each individual. Um, the, the best advice, and Stephen has actually already mentioned this is just keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Um, That is the best advice um, that we have found. uh, And we have, um, we've been uh, fortunate enough to be able to help other people who are going through this grief journey. And that's the advice that we give them. I think you really need to be kind to yourself. I think you need to, God will give us grace, but I think we need to give ourselves grace as well. Um, It's, it's a, it's a bumpy road and it is not a straight line. No. It is all over the map. 
Um, so you can be doing really well for a week, two weeks, a month, two months, and then just kind of slide right back down in. And the, the way to get back out of that is go to the word, go to the word, and you will be able to pull yourself out through God's help. Um, also, um, you know, I found myself, uh, I would be very fatigued. I would not feel well. Um, that's all part of grieving, um, you know, and, and we learned that uh, there is no right or wrong to grief. Um, and I think you just have to take it slowly and trust that God is going to get you through. Yeah, and I think that we, uh, one thing that we did that I think was wise near the beginning was we sort of made a pact with each oh. other and with God. And uh, I know that's really hard if, if someone's listening to this and <clears throat> they're newly bereaved. As you know, you can get that fogginess where you're, you just can't even think clearly. But to the extent that you can have any kind of a plan, I think it's important to recognize it's a, it's a process it's a journey and you're going to go through it. You can't go around it. Can't go under it. Can't go around under it. You're going to go through it. And how are you going to go through that? How, what, what is your, uh, what are your values? What are you going to value through that process? And Linda and I made a pact, not only with God, but with ourselves between us that we weren't going to let this become divisive for us. That was really important because we had been through such chaos, as we said earlier, that, you know, there's, there's fear. And I think we've all heard different stats about um, the troubles that can emerge in a marriage um, when parents are bereaved. And I, I kept trying to remind myself, we, we, part of that pact was that we would be kind with, to each other, which might sound like the simplest advice in the world. But as you know, our fleshly self finds doing that incredibly difficult. And I would, I just reminded myself as often as I needed to, that I, I am married to a woman who has lost her baby and you don't have to have a huge imagination to figure out how you would treat a, a mother who's lost their baby. And that's what I'm married to now. And so I, I would try to just act in accordance with um, just, you know, even decency with how you would deal with a person who's, who's going through that. Exactly. Um, I think that goes that goes the other way around, too. I mean, Stephen has lost his child as well. And um, try to put yourself in the other person's shoes. They're, they're grieving. It may look different than what you're going through, but it is just as painful. We did agree to be gentle and kind with each other. And, um, you know, the Bible also says to us, you know, next to God, our marriage comes next. It's number two. Our children come under that. And we um, we believe that we needed to protect our marriage. And we really focused a lot on that. Um, that we did a lot of um, encouraging each other. We are going to get through this. We are going to get through this together. God wants us to get through this together. And, you know, in Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Jesus Christ forgave us. So um, we've clung to that, and that has really helped us. And I think I would say that our marriage is even uh, better, or we are closer as a couple because of what we've had to struggle through. 
Absolutely. I love that concept of making a pact between each other and with God mm-hmm. and, and just such a simple thing to be kind to one another. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it, it seems very basic, but that's profound. It is profound. Because sometimes and it's not easy. Exactly. When you're in pain, it's quite normal to lash out. And yes. that is not the way <laughs> to um, uh, sort of get what you need. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. That's that's great advice. Another question I'll always like to ask, and I like to ask it to you guys kind of specifically um, in regard to suicide. You know, people often feel awkward around a parent that has lost a child. And I think that's probably magnified somewhat when the child is lost to suicide. And we have a lot of people that listen to this podcast, not because they themselves have lost a child, but because they love someone who has. So what is some advice that you might give to someone who is wondering what they can say or do to help someone who has experienced the loss of a child to suicide? That's a good question. Um, First of all, um, I think focusing on the suicide might be the wrong thing to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. these people have lost their child, just like anybody else has lost their child. Um, So um, I think that's what you need to focus on is that their child is gone and they are dealing with this grief. Um, Specifically to suicide, um, asking for details about the suicide is a really bad idea. And I mentioned that because it happened to me uh, once um, and it was a Christian person that I didn't know very well, but they really um, got up in my face and wanted the details. And I was so offended and um, it took me a long time to get over that. Um, So that is not something to focus on. Um, I think letting uh, the grieving person do as much talking as possible. Sometimes just being quiet is really good. And also, I think just asking the person or or telling them, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help you, but I love you and I want to help you. So tell me what I can do for you. I think that's the best thing that you can do for someone. Yeah, I think there's a... um... You know, as you know, when uh, grieving parents get together, there's always uh, these sort of horror stories of yes, people who have good hearts trying to help but end up making things worse. And, uh, and, and we have good examples of that in scripture. I mean, you know, Job's friends kept throwing in uh, problem-solving ideas, and you can almost see Job looking across the campfire going, uh, not helpful, not what I'm looking exactly. for right now. And so as Linda said, the number one thing you can do is just the ministry of presence. Being there for the other person. Um, you know, there's nothing specific to your child dying from suicide that would change the fact that somebody who hangs in there with you is really doing you an amazing service. Uh, and the thing that I would add to that, to the to the extent that you're a Christ follower, um, you know, we've already talked about it. You have hope. And I think reminding that bereaved parent that there is hope and pointing them to the truth, pointing them to Jesus is the best thing that you can do. Um, 
probably avoiding giving a whole bunch of advice. I mean, other than things like if somebody says they're going to change everything in their life, I think there's pretty good advice out there that says, "Mm, maybe not the wisest time to be doing that. But for the most part, I don't think that bereaved parents need advice as much as they need your presence and they need you pointing to Jesus. Absolutely. That's all very good advice. I appreciate that. One of the hardest questions for a parent to answer after the loss of a child is, how many children do you have? How do you guys handle that question when people ask? Well, that's a that's an interesting one, Jill, um, because I find that it depends on um, whether I'm going to have a long-term relationship with a person or if I'm just sitting on a bus and somebody just strikes up a conversation Um, so I have two ways of dealing with that. One is, um, you know, if I feel like I'm going to have a relationship or if God prompts me to tell my story, I will say that I have three children and I might mention Ryan and Shannon. And then I will say my youngest daughter, Samantha is in heaven already. Mm -hmm. Um, and then sometimes it scares people away Mm -hmm. and they, they cannot get away from me fast enough. Right. Um, But a lot of the time, uh, people are very interested and curious, and they want, they would like to to know a bit about Sam. Um, And if I'm just uh, feeling yucky that day, maybe, or, um, you know, I know I'm never going to see this stranger again, I will, I will just say I have three children and hope that it doesn't go on to anything else. And if it does, then I'm willing to share. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always say three, two living. And then kind of feel like it's your move after that. If you want to know more, uh, I'll share that. Um, and, and like Linda, I'll kind of somewhat quickly uh, move into talking about um, my two kids that are right here with us. Um, if somebody really wants to go there, though, I, I just figure, wow, that must be part of God's plan. And maybe there's a reason behind why this person would be curious about uh, about Samantha. And I'm I'm. I'm happy to talk about that. One of the reasons that I I love that you invited us to talk to you today, Jill, is that as time goes on, in our case, almost a decade, the opportunities to talk about Samantha are just fewer. And and yet, this is our child. We want to talk about her every day. Of course. And so any opportunity to talk about Samantha is uh, is usually a positive now. Certainly in the early years, it it felt really uh, threatening. And uh, I was really worried about where my emotions might go. And and that still happens. But fundamentally, um, you know, God's restored so much of our happy memories of Samantha now that, you know, I want to talk about her. I I have a fear that that we won't talk about her one day that, you know, we don't want to forget. One of the joys that I have, Jill, is talking to my grandchildren about her. Now, unfortunately, they are never going to get to meet Sam, but I talk to them about her like, oh, your Aunt Samantha, blah, blah, you know, would have loved this, or this was one of her favorite foods. I'm so glad you love it, too. And they know who, who Aunt Samantha is. You know, they've got their pic- her picture all over their house. Um, I think Stephen has even made a little, you know, booklet of this is Sam, you know, meet your Aunt Sam kind of thing. Um, and so that has been a real joy for me is to be able to share her with them um, because that's the only way they were are going to know who their aunt Samantha was. 
So that brings great joy. Yeah. I'm sure that's a beautiful thing. I love that, that you're able to, that you have that outlet where you can talk about her and that they can, they can always know who their aunt Samantha is. That's, that's mm-hmm. wonderful. It's a good way for them to learn about heaven too. Absolutely. Yeah. That's important. So kind of a deep question here. What have you learned about God through this experience? Uh, well, The biggest thing that I've learned, I I think, Jill, is that God has been with us right from the very beginning. Um, Even before we knew he was there, he was there. Now that we can look back in retrospect, um, I believe that our move from Canada to the United States wasn't so that uh, Stephen could have this great job with Frito-Lay and Walmart. And I think he moved us specifically to Arkansas because he knew we were going to need the people there. Um, We were surrounded by um, really good Christian friends who, um, you know, invited us into their Bible study. We got into a really good church there. And these people ultimately ended up being our, what we now call our triage unit um, when Samantha uh, passed away. Um, So he, he's, He's been there. Um, I actually, before even before Samantha died, um, I, uh, you know, I was considered myself a Christian, but I didn't really fully surrender to God until about a year before Samantha died. And it was it was at one of the darkest times of my life. Um, we were we were really struggling, and Samantha was in a really bad place, and. Stephen um, wanted me to go to church and we were, we weren't at our, our home. So we went to this little small little uh, church in Grove, Oklahoma. And I really didn't even want to go to church. I was in such a bad state, Um, but something kind of miraculous happened there. Um, God actually spoke to me and pretty much brought me to my knees in that church Sorry, it's hard not to get emotional. It's okay. Um, But I really learned what true surrender was because I had nowhere else to go. And I pretty much was at the end of myself. And God sort of picked me up and told me he was going to be there for me. And he actually gave me something to do, which, I mean, it wasn't, I didn't hear like a real voice, but Mm -hmm. it was put in my heart that he, God wanted me to take a month off out of my life and focus on him, get to really know who he was um, and study and repent. And I did that. Um, and I shared it with uh, my, uh, the life group that we were in at the point at that point. And they kind of all participated and cheered me on <clears throat> as this went on. And um through that experience, I learned that, <clears throat> excuse me, it's possible to have joy in the midst of our suffering. Mm-hmm. And that joy has never left despite our circumstances. Amen. Yeah. You know, just witnessing uh, that day uh, with Linda was honestly one of the most inspiring, probably the most inspiring thing I've ever uh, 
ever experienced. And, and we had no idea what we were about to face only months down the road from that. But uh, I can see now how God's hand was in all of that. Mm-hmm. And as, uh, as Linda said, you know, God's faithfulness through the journey was one of the biggest things that I think we both learned about God. And, you know, Elizabeth Elliot, the famous missionary said, suffering is never for nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's definitely something that I learned. It's really that's a puzzling concept at the beginning of your grief journey. But I think many parents, people who've been through it will tell you afterwards when they look back that they can see that suffering is never for nothing. You're not adrift in a sea of chaos. God is there in the middle of all that. And there really is no despair uh, that the love of Christ can't reach. And, uh, and so, you know, not only did I learn God's, purposes as we go through this journey of brokenness, but just the amazing restoration that God is an expert in, you know, restoring all things is what God does. And, um, you know, there's some, when you go through uh, losing a child, there's always this temptation for that to become your identity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's, it's something that I think we have to really question because uh, it's very natural to say, well, wh- why wouldn't that be my identity? That's the most important thing that ever happened to me. Well, no, the most important thing that ever happened to you was the day that Christ crawled up on that cross and he bled for you and for me. And keeping that at the center of your identity is, um, is really important. Yes, absolutely. Amen. Amen. There's not much, not not much I can add to that. Um, you know, as you were talking about restoration and and going through suffering and things like that, it brought to mind something um, you told me, and that is um, what you had put on Sam's headstone. What does it say? Well, it says "perfect peace." Mm-hmm. It's from Isaiah and. You know, it's something that for years we prayed for Samantha, that she would have peace. And, um, you know, again, it's hard. It's a hard lesson. It took us years to um, kind of reconcile ourselves to this. But as Linda referenced earlier, uh, Samantha has peace now. Uh, It's a peace that, you know, we hope to enjoy one day. Um, And it's a promise from God that that he will keep in perfect peace those who... um, worship him. And so it's, um, it, it's given us a little bit of peace as well over time, just to realize that her suffering has ended. And uh, we had 20 awesome years with Samantha. Well, 15 awesome years <laughs> and five tough ones. Right. Um, but again, back to God's restoration, you know, having those memories of the first 15 years of her life was so important because that trauma of those last five years it's just so big in your in your uh, rem- memory of that that child that it takes a while to for God to untangle that whole knot and to show you what an unbelievable blessing in in our case what an unbelievable blessing Samantha was. Nobody would want to be remembered by the last and the worst decision that they ever made, and yet <clears throat> the trauma that's caused on loved ones. That's that looms pretty large at the beginning, and it, I think if you let God um, take you, if you surrender to Him, take you on this journey, He will restore 
those good memories. And that's, um, that's just such an unbelievable blessing. It's true. Um, I also find comfort in 1 Corinthians 15, where it says, our bodies will be raised in glory, raised in power, perfect, without sickness or disease. I mean, we feel like Samantha has that, and she did not have that here. Um, so that gives us a lot of comfort. Yeah, absolutely. As our friend Joy likes to say, the best is yet to come, you know, and, mm-hmm. and Sam is already yeah. experiencing that, and we have that to look forward to. And uh, it also reminds me of Joel 2.25 that we refer to a lot at our retreats, and that is that that God is going to redeem those years that the locusts have eaten. You had those 15 wonderful years with Samantha, and he's already in the process of redeeming those last five years. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know you're moving towards healing when when the the memories that are stronger in your mind are the are the good memories, and God you know begins to kind of fade out those those difficult memories and and bad memories. So I'm glad that y'all are able to um, just fully uh, enjoy in your minds those 15 years that you had with Samantha that were so wonderful. What a gift from God she was. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Just to wrap up, just real briefly, because we're about to be out of time. Are there any specific ways that you're seeking to live well while you're waiting to see Sam again? You know, this, uh, as you know, Jill, it's a it's a complete game changer yes. going through this. I mean, we have we had our priorities completely reoriented by God, and uh, and that's been good. We were just on a journey, you know, kind of the American dream in a lot of ways. And we experienced a good chunk of that, but recognized that there's no um, there's no real hope there, not not in the long term. And so God has reoriented our priorities. And I think that we all have a desire to live a life that is worthy of the suffering that we've gone through, that is mm-hmm. honoring to uh, Samantha and um, and. You know, as you sort of come out the other end of the grieving process, I think most of us feel a real uh, desire to help others. Uh, Linda mentioned that, you know, she had a much higher level of empathy having gone through this. I feel the same way. And there is a desire to to help others uh, who've gone through that. Um, I think Rick Warren talked about often the experiences that we have in life are exactly what God wants to use as your ministry. You and you and Brad and Larry and Janice certainly understand that, but we don't want to waste um, the suffering that we've gone through. Exactly. Um, help others. You know, you you mentioned the the demand um, for what while we're waiting does. It's it's unfortunate, but I can tell you that forty million families this year will hear the horrible news that their child, their family member has died from suicide. And uh, it's, it's happening all too often, these deaths of despair. Mm -hmm. And so the need is the need is great. And God has told us to be salt and light to push back the darkness and, um, you know, bereaved parents need to uh, need that salt and light as much as anybody. Exactly. I think I think by we're, we look at ourselves as being a living, test, living testimony to uh, the fact that God will redeem. And, and, he, and he, the process starts almost right away. Um, and you, it, it is a process, though, as well. I mean, 
it, it is going to take us right up until we get to meet him and be with our children. Um, and we're, we're trying to live our lives um, the way Stephen said, like we're trying to glorify him um, and let people know that there is hope. There's hope. Uh, and that um, just by being obedient and staying in the word, uh, that's basically what we're trying to do with our lives from here on out. All right. Thank you so much for that. Um, there's just really not a whole lot more that can be added um, to what you've said today. And uh, I appreciate y'all coming on the podcast and, and sharing so honestly and openly and in such and giving us such encouragement that there is hope that um, that God is a redeemer and a restorer and that um, and that he's our he's the one we need to look to in these times of grief and suffering. And thank you for that. Absolutely. Well, and thank you, Jill. Thank you for the work that you and Brad and Larry and Janice are doing. Uh, you're an inspiration to us because you've responded to God's call and uh, you're being salt and light as we're commanded to do. And I think you've chosen to believe God. And uh, that's an inspiration in itself. And I think it's very honoring to, to Hannah as well. And, and we love that you're honoring all of our kids as well. So thank you. Mm-hmm. I think, I think um, when, when we mentioned God surrounded us with uh, really great people, you are definitely one of them, you and your ministry. So we are, we are eternally grateful to while we're waiting. Well, thank you for that. You know, um, we had a, a mom just recently at our facilitators retreat that was talking about the concept of drafting. And, you know, you can think about it as as geese or NASCAR, whichever you prefer to think about it as, or even as a runner. You know, somebody is kind of in the lead and, and it helps if you can just kind of draft off of them. And we had those people in our lives that we drafted behind. And now people, you know, have come and drafted behind us and people are drafting behind y'all. And, you know, sometimes we change positions and, and, uh, and I, I love that concept. And, um, you know, there's always somebody that we're drafting behind. And at the same time, there's somebody drafting behind us as grieving parents. And um, I think that's a gift God gives us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so now every time, ever since she said that, every time I see geese in the sky, I think about, you know, all right. Who am I drafting behind and who's drafting behind me? And and ultimately, we need to be drafting behind God um, because we certainly can't do this on our own. Exactly. I mean, you so, can even look at that in a marriage. I mean, Stephen and I felt yes. sometimes one of us would just be just in the depths of despair and the other one was always there to pull help pull us out. So uh, kind of the same sort of concept. Absolutely. Well, thank y'all for coming on and for sharing Samantha with us. I look forward to meeting her in heaven one day and telling her what a blessing her mom and dad have been in our lives. And uh, we just, um, we're just grateful that God brought us together. Amen. Yes. Thank you for your friendship. And uh, we love you guys. Love you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. 
Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting.